All right, and welcome back to Global Digest. Myself, David Sayega, and uh, a new feature, which is we are live on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And YouTube on the Capital FM pages, so you can watch us do this right now. Uh, Davis, how's the week? How was the weekend? How's the first day of the week treating you? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Your end? All good. All good. I've had a very busy weekend, but uh, glad to be back in the hot seat on Global Digest, as good. we are every single Monday, six thirty to seven thirty, as we discuss a number of issues that are uh, well are facing us. Uh, and we always start with uh, the local stuff, the country, the countrywide stuff. Uh, let's start here at home in Kenya. Kenya Kwanzaa as a meal to purge MPs who defied orders on Finance Bill 2023. Uh, now, as a member of parliament, right, uh, no matter who I'm aligned to, how I got voted in, under which party name, I also have something called free will. If I don't agree with something, I should be able to vote against that something and not be under the scrutiny of the head of state or the head of the party, whoever that is, or the party leader. Uh, in this case, of course, this is a uh, um, Kenya Kwanzo, Kenya Kwanzaa issue. But as a Mio, uh, as a MPs also are being um, uh, scrutinized for perhaps voting for the finance bill to go through. Why is this such a big deal? You're you could be elected under a ticket, but you should have free will to decide uh, how you want to vote, and that's what makes a democracy a democracy. So before I tell you why it's a big deal, especially here in matters Kenyan politics, we have to understand where the issue came from. So last week on Tuesday, emotions flared up in the National Assembly when members of Parliament formally started debating the controversial, the contentious Finance Bill 2023. So the debate was characterized by name-calling and heated exchanges where we saw members of parliament drawn from both sides of the political divide mounting spirited arguments as to, as to why the bill is punitive, that is, the members of parliament from the Azmio coalition. And then we had members of parliament from drawn from the Kenya-Kwanza coalition who defended the bill saying it is good for the country because it will go a long way in bettering the country's economy. So during the debate, uh, we saw members of parliament cast their vote in this second reading stage where they were generally debating on the general issues of the bill. We saw members of parliament raise issues regarding the housing levy, the VAT on petroleum products, which as contained in the bill, we'll see it move from the initial 8% to 16%. So members of parliament really had a heated session on Tuesday and at the end of the debate they voted and we saw 176 members of parliament vote in favour of the bill and then 81 opposed the bill. So in total we had 257 members of parliament in the hours at the time of the voting. So the purge came about after it was established that uh, the, some four members of the Azmio coalition voted in favour of the bill despite being explicitly told by the Azmio leader Raila Odinga that they should oppose the bill. And then all, we also saw 24 members of parliament also from the coalition absconding in the vote mm. despite even some of them being around the precincts of parliament. And then in the Kenya Kwanzaa side we saw Gidunguri member of parliament, Gadoni Wamushomba, who now appears to be the face of the opposition in, in, in government, who she put up a spirited fight. She was very animated when she said that the bill is punitive, scandalous and oppressive and that her people in Gidunguri, the electorates there, 
told her to vote against it. So it was this development that now forced, uh, especially now the Azimio coalition, they have said they will purge the members of parliament who voted for the bill and some who absconded the bill. We saw the ODM party secretary general Edwin Sifuna issue a statement after releasing the list of the individuals. The party will now embark on a disciplinary action against these members of parliament. He issued letters and uh, he asked the respective members of parliament to issue their explanations as to why they should not be disciplined. And from the Kenya Kwanzaa side, we saw we we saw uh, Nandi Senator Samson Cherarge who said that uh, a disciplinary action will also be taken against some members of parliament who 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 opposed, who went against the grain and opposed and never told the party line. Initially, before even the debate had started, we saw President William Ruto, who is very committed in ensuring that the bill passes so that he can be able to start implementing some of his agenda in for the for, for the country he said that uh, unspecified action will be taken against some members of parliament who will oppose the bill so to date uh, it is the Azmio coalition that is seen to be very conspicuous about this whole issue of ensuring that they discipline the members who went who never told the party line so this is where we are at the moment uh, we haven't seen any development mm. but uh, from the Azmio's point of view they will take disciplinary measures against these 28 members of parliament but for the Kenya Kwanzaa side we saw a change of art where we saw the UDA party uh, secretary the, the UDA party Cleophas Malala secretary general saying that uh, they welcome divergent views and they won't be taking any disciplinary action against in this case in point they could give them good member of parliament however having said that and you've you've given a lot, a lot of names and a lot of reasons yes. as to why no but it's great it's now great. to answer your question yeah, yeah my question would that, be that, back that, to yes, you know yes. surely in, as an mp as an elected member of parliament there are there are reasons that i'm in that position i should be voting as i or i feel my constituents would want me to vote, not necessarily because one leader uh, wants to pass a bill through and another leader doesn't want the bill to be passed through. So in the Kenyan system, how politics works, when you are vying for a political seat in Kenya, you have to subscribe to certain the code of conduct of the political party that you intend to be party of, to be part of. So for Azimio, if you are an Azimio affiliated member of parliament, you have to follow what the Azimio says. And and in this particular point, the Azimio coalition is the opposition side, which opposes the legislative agenda for the government, which it deems punitive or not a priority for the country. And if you're subscribing to the code of conduct of the Kenya Kwanzaa administration, then you definitely have to support what the government is saying, be it good or bad. That is how our Kenyan system of politics works. So when you go against the grain, then then it 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 brings about the issue of you being being scrutinized and facing disciplinary action because you have been explicitly told by your leaders that you should either vote to support or to oppose. So for these members of parliament, in this case, for 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 instance, for 
Nairobi Human Representative Esther Pasad is to vote in favour of the bill. This is something that has angered Raila Odinga because Esther Pasad is, is an ODM party member. And, 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 and a diehard, an ODM and diehard. She, st- she stood by Baba from from really day one, uh, campaigned for him. We had her here talking about how he was going to change the country. Uh, didn't go in her favour, obviously. So she's voted for the finance bill to go through. I can understand Baba being a little bit pissed off at that one. But again, is it is it is it mandatory that because I belong to party A I've got to vote in favor of bills that party A is trying to pass or against bills that party B is trying to pass? That is what is expected, but at the end of the day, these members of parliament have their own mind. They can decide whichever way they choose to vote because at the end of the day, they are responsible to the electorate who voted for them to represent the affairs in the National Assembly. And this is what President William Druso was telling the Azimio members of parliament who have been issued with these disciplinary notices letters that they should not fret because they have been issued letters. They should be answerable to their constituents, to the electorate who put them in power. But uh, from from Odinga's point of view, he 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 is he's he's rightly so to be angered because he expects his troops in parliament to do as he says. So for Esther Pasadis uh, who is the Nairobi Woman Representative for Wajia South Member of Parliament, Aidan Mohammed for Game Member of Parliament, Elisha Odiambo, and Super South Member of Parliament, <coughs> Carol Omondo. These are individuals who have utterly angered the former Prime Minister because they have emboldened the Kenya Kwanzaa side that this bill will have to pass. It will pass. There's no doubt about it. Tomorrow's a big day. Uh, tomorrow is the big day. Uh, if you want to go and look at the dailies, you will see that there is going to be some, uh, well, not just some, the, tomorrow, of course, uh, Ruto's final finance bill push ahead of Tuesday's vote. How quickly will we know if this bill has been passed through? Uh, we do understand now, thanks to yourself and Irene, explaining that the budget is merely a blueprint. What happens after the budget is now pushing through these ideologies and these systems and these sort of levies that are coming through. Um, This one is the only one everyone's talking about, although we have to really take into consideration we're about to pay an arm arm and a leg more for fuel as well if we're not careful. But we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, Tomorrow, the vote. How quickly will we know if that finance bill is pushed through? And I know you have to be objective here, Davis, but I do need to ask you in your in your learned uh, capacity as a journalist, you know, what are the odds? So tomorrow is a big day for members of the National Assembly who total to 349 because now what will be happening tomorrow is that the 84 clauses of the Finance Bill 2023 will be looked at individually and we'll see the members of Parliament from both sides of the divide come up with amendments to the bill. So it this is the it will be the committee stage of the report where the members of parliament will have the opportunity to come up with proposed amendments for the bill and here we have seen uh, already some members of parliament from the Azimio coalition they intend to come up with amendments on the contentious issues at on the bill for for instance on the housing levy they want that clause to be deleted entirely and the, for the housing for 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 the for the for the VAT on petroleum products, that the bill seeks to have it increased from the current eight percent to sixteen percent. The members of parliament from Azimio wants it also to be deleted in its entirety. So, 
it is a big day because we will see another heated session where now the Kenya Kwanzaa members of parliament and Azimio MPs will clash as they look at uh, some of these clauses individually, which now after the debate, which is not for, not expected to end tomorrow because these are 84 clauses and we expect uh, the members of parliament to come up with different amendments. So the soonest, the earliest we can see a vote, a final vote being taken on this bill is probably on Thursday or on Thursday because the bill has a life has a lifespan of 30th June up to until the 30th of this month. So if the earliest cannot be on Thursday, then next week on Tuesday because after... The committee stage, uh, after the MPs pass the bill at the committee level stage, then the House Committee on Finance will retreat to write their report on the final bill uh, containing the amendments which would have been proposed by the members of parliament. So that will be the third reading. So the third reading (coughs) here is now where the final vote will be taken by the members of parliament on either passing the bill or rejecting the bill. So once the House passes the bill in its entirety in consideration with uh, the amendments which would have been brought forward starting tomorrow, then it will now await the presidential assent. And here it is clear that President William Bruto, once he gets that bill on his table at State House in Nairobi, he will sign it it into law. If there's a situation where the bill is voted, you know, a higher percentage of no than yes, can the president use his executive power to enact the bill anyway? Already in the National Assembly, the Kenya Kwanzaa Alliance has a super majority. They have the numbers. And uh, from judging from what we saw last week, we had 257 members of parliament in the House and 176 voted in favour of the bill and 81 opposed it. Never mind the 80... Is it the 81 who never participated entirely in the debate and in the voting stage? So clearly, Kenya Kwanzaa has an upper hand. So despite whatever tricks the Azimio members of parliament will be bringing in the House, be it filibustering <coughs> or the delaying tactics in ensuring that they vote on every clause on the bill, it is they will be delaying the inevitable because the Kenya Kwanzaa members of parliament have the numbers and they have exuded confidence that uh, the bill will be voted uh, by a majority because already we are seeing four members of the opposition side voting in favor of the bill so it will be very interesting to see especially these four mps how they will be voting tomorrow considering they have been uh, they're now subject to disciplinary action from their coalition party so already it is a win it is uh it is some sort of a win for the Kenya Kwanzaa administration because with their numbers in the National Assembly, President William Ruto is assured of victory at the at the tail end of this debate and the voting process of the bill. But we are talking about something that is almost 100% going to happen, uh, will happen. Um, we will be now seeing a 1.5% tax uh, increase in tax on our pay slips as, employed, uh, as, as employees uh, or salaried staff. Uh, and of course, it will be matched uh, by the government with one and a half percent. So he gets his three percent either way. But isn't he still bleeding the government dry? Um, you know, can the government really afford that one and a half percent to match every employee's one and a half percent? President William Ruto is uh, is, is really helping to have this bill passed because even when you listen to him talk he spoke he was speaking last week and he was saying that his handlers have warned him to be very careful on how he's maneuvering on on this entire bit of the finance bill and he's 
taxation agenda for the country they his handlers warned him that this might 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 be detrimental to his prospects in 2027 but the president was very bullish and told them and responded by saying that he does not care much about 2027 so he will go ahead and make the decisive and tough decisions to ensure that the country the country's economy improves or is bettered so from that point of view that in itself tells you that president william bruto is 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 really determined to have this bill passed is really determined for you and i to have that 1.5% levy removed so that uh, like he says he continuously keeps on saying that this will go a long way in unlocking jobs for the millions of unemployed youth in the country so he doesn't really seem to be very concerned about uh, the the immediate plight of Kenyans because the taxation agenda he says will also be very instrumental in 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 ensuring that Kenya Kenya's economy prospers. He doesn't want to borrow from foreigners from outside countries from donors because he says borrowing will sink the country's uh, will, will be very will play will plunge the country into a more financial crisis and he, he keeps on saying that his predecessor Uhuru Kenyatta yeah. was, that, was th- that finger pointing is coming out more yes. so now than it has I mean he has alluded to the fact that the economy was destroyed uh, by former president Uhuru Kenyatta right now he's directly saying the reason we're in this mess is because of my predecessor. Can you say that? Can you say that with conviction? If you were the second most powerful person in the country for all ten years of that presidency, from from his standpoint standpoint's view, he has to do some citations, and his citations in this case point is his predecessor's actions, because he says the former president borrowed to a tune of nine trillion shillings, and this has been very been very indicative of how of how as a country we are performing badly economy wise and so he has to tell Kenyans that he's doing this because of that and that is why the former president's name keeps keeps on propping But he up. was a part of the government Davis he was he was the deputy president when Uhuru Kenyatta was traveling overseas he was running the country okay it didn't happen that often to be fair but you know i could understand if he was the opposition leader for 10 years and he will come out and say for three of the last five years or two and a half of the last five years he kind of was like the opposition leader because of the handshake that's fine but so let's remove those two years after the handshake so we got eight years where he was instrumental in the running of the country specifically and no more um no more involved than in the first five years when they were both speaking the same language, both former President Uhuru Kenyatta and current President William Ruto, they attended every event together. They wore the white shirts with the sleeves rolled up and the red ties. Um, you're basically saying that y- your role in running the country was a disaster as part of the, the the big two, president, deputy president, and now you're trying to fix that problem. He's never come out and said, I should have actually done better. But he should have actually done better. If he was to be present in here for the global digest this episode he'll correct you and tell you and tell us and or or tell you that he was only part of the government during the first term of the Uhuru Ruto administration which is in 2013 to 2017 but in the second term he will tell you that he was put on the sidelines and it was 
the opposition leader Raila Odinga and uh, the in- former Interior Cabinet Secretary Fred Matiangi who were running the government and for him he resulted to being the opposition, the de facto opposition leader of the country then. So he will disassociate, disassociate himself with the sentiments that you've made and, and, and because he was never part of the government and this is why he says that it is the previous regime which ironically was part of like you mentioned that is to blame for this mess. So but even as he continues to say that, he, Ruto is, he, every day he's increasingly becoming a man under pressure because of his unpopular policies and uh, broken campaign promises. Because during the campaigns, this is a man who ran on a populist ticket, promising Kenyans that he will empower the hustlers. Yeah, he, will make, he would make the poor richer and the richer poor, which is, it seems like the divide that, is getting bigger. That is not the case currently because even the prices of basic commodities are skyrocketing every day. So yep. he's a man who is not under siege, but under pressure. Let me ask you a question. You mentioned something quite interesting uh, a moment ago, Davis, and I want to I go back to that. You said that he's not concerned with 2027. Um, there is no African president who is not thinking about their second term the day after they step into office for their first term. None. Zero. In fact, I would go as far as to say probably globally, most countries will have a two-term, um, a two-term limit. Most countries. Of course, if you're Uganda, it's a different story, but that in their constitution should be a two-term limit as well. Uh, there was a two-term limit here, but President Moy served for 20-plus years as well, right? <clears throat> there is no president that is not walking in 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 the first week of his first term thinking about his second term i'm sorry okay they're human beings so i'm just putting myself in that situation i'd walk in and say right how do i get myself 10 years of this as opposed to five years of this? did he actually come out and say he's not thinking about 2027 and do you do you believe that first of all President William Russo is the head of state of the Republic of Kenya and second of all he's still a politician so when he comes out and says that he's not invested in the 2027 politics that's a lie this is a politician <laughs> speaking to the masses but deep down he knows that 2027 the politics of 2027 will be pegged especially on the issues that he's doing at the moment the unpopular policies this finance bill 2023 will form the bulk of the campaign in 2023 and the other day we were having a conversation in the newsroom we were saying it will be a big blow for him especially if this housing agenda of his uh, gets to an off start and then other, when it comes to 2027 Kenyans won't be seeing houses then this definitely will be a big blow for him <coughs> we will go he will go down in history in Kenyan history as being Kenya's first term president not securing a second term but but also this is pegged on how the opposition coalition will be strategizing uh, on ensuring that in 2027 they have a watertight ticket they have a strong candidate who is appealing to kenyans and uh, that will be very instrumental on how the 2027 politics will play out okay you've you've given me two talking points as we wrap up this topic number one is um number one is obviously going to be uh what is the time frame for the housing the low-income housing what time frame is he given? That's number one. Second thing I'm going to ask you is, um, even if a president doesn't, a, a sitting president, the incumbent, if you will, doesn't win an election, doesn't he anyway win an election? In Africa. All right. So your question number one, I'll respond by saying that... Um 
how he intends to he hasn't been very clear on the on the implementation process of the housing agenda but it will be clear i believe once the finance bill gets to be gets to sail through and once the members of parliament in the national assembly get to approve the budget and appropriations bill uh, we saw we saw last week the treasury cabinet secretary table the 3.6 trillion shillings made in budget of the president so once all these things of legislation are over in parliament i think it will be very certain kenyans will be able to know the timelines for this housing agenda and how the messaging will be done for the process to begin will be very crucial because it will determine the the, the success or failure of this pro- project which kenyans are eagerly awaiting to see whether it will indeed yield result but from the point of views of from where the president sits he says the once it starts to be implemented millions of kenyans will get to be employed but um, the opposition side and many kenyans think this is a facade okay we're ra- wrapping up this uh, topic quickly you know it realistically this is a two term project the low income housing realistically right because first of all the bill hasn't even gone through and passed passed through parliament yet so if that let's assume that happens tomorrow then implementation phase planning phase tenders go out that's another year thereabouts so you're looking at 2024 mid to end of 2024 right this project breaking ground end of 2020 i'm being ve- and i'm being very very um uh uh generous here in terms of time it'd probably take longer breaking ground end of 2024 oh they've already broken ground in some areas i guess but and then construction begins in 2025 we have an election in 2027 right we have campaigns before the elections yeah the, the last two years of every presidency of yeah. every presidency in in Kenya is yeah. campaigning yeah so if he's if if he's going around the country saying this pile of dirt here is going to be this housing unit and this pile of dirt here is going to be that housing unit are Kenyans going to go but where's the housing unit where's the low income housing wasn't that supposed to happen during the first term i think that the, this is this could this act this situation if you really think about it and i think you mentioned it uh, earlier on in this discussion this is a make or break for him this is a make or break for him and this is probably the reason he's so adamant about getting something going in the quickest time possible the many things which are currently happening in the country recently we lost some kdf soldiers and then i think in the northern part of the country and then we also have other issues of course never mind the high cost of living but when you listen to the president speak the housing thing seems to be a major priority for him because when he had he, he previously told us that he his administration will be building correct me if i'm wrong 250,000 housing units every year so and this i think up to date they have only done is it 50 or less 50,000 housing units or less so this will be a very instrumental will be will be a determining project for him whether he will ascend to power in 2027 so how he intends to implement this project will be very it is up to him to decide if he really wants complete success and the thing is we are we are speculating that uh, sooner or later there will be some uh, cabinet reshuffle because even when you when 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 you when you try to find the housing and planning cabinet secretary Zakaria Njeru this is a man who is nowhere to be found and he is not really conspicuous when it comes to this housing agenda we are only seeing more of the principal secretary Charles Hinga and a few government officials 
and Muslim members of parliament who are speaking the same language that the president is speaking. So for this project really to become a success, he needs to put people who really believe in it, people who talk about it every day, people who need to convince Kenyans that this project is doable, it can be done, Kenyans can have houses, and the, 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 uh, yeah. Kenya as a whole will be urbanized in, in the next few years to come. Right, and that is uh, alongside the dream of Vision 2030 to become a middle-income economy. Absolutely. Uh, we are, by the way, for Mugo Kibati and all those who put Vision 2030 together around a decade ago, do you realize we are literally six and a half years away from Vision 2030 being realized? And I haven't seen a lot of those promises. And still much has been done. <laughs> Not much has been done. Yeah. All right. The time now is uh, one minute past seven with KCB, the official financial partner of the 2023 WRC Safari Rally from the 22nd to the 25th of June in Naivasha. Dial star 844-HASH today and get the Lipa na KCB till 522-523 to receive payments for free. Feel the roar with KCB Bank for People for Better, regulated, of course, by the Central Bank of Kenya. We take a quick break. We come back uh, and we get into the next... Uh, area of discussion. Sudan rejects Kenya's mediation team on crisis, but Kenya insists process is on. Uh, Tanzania, now shaken by a Shakahola-like story. Uh, and of course, uh, SA's Ramaphosa leads African team on peace mission to Russia and Ukraine. However, uh, his entire delegation uh, was kept in a plane for more than 24 hours because they carried 10 container loads of arms for peace talks. Drama. It's like having a banquet when you're discussing famine. <laughs> we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, of course, to Global Digest. Myself, Davis Ayega, uh, as we continue to discuss the topics uh, that are trending, making headlines, and, of course, are, well, piquing our interest, I guess, as a nation. Uh, and these are both local, uh, regional, and international uh, discussions. Let's go regional now to Sudan. Uh, Sudan rejects Kenya's mediation team on crisis, but Kenya insists the process is on. First and foremost, Davis, before we get into why that happened, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting always, isn't it? You get a news story that's so hot, um, so off the press, that everyone's talking about it. The next big thing happens. So Sudan's, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's basically a humanitarian crisis right now in Sudan. It's been overshadowed by Donald Trump's poss the possibility of Donald Trump going to jail. Um, and we stop talking about the stories that are happening. Then we start thinking that everything's okay because no one's talking about it anymore. So I think the first thing you need to do is break down the situation in Sudan. I know there was a ceasefire. What is happening right now? So I'll start, by the f I'll start with figures. So to date, uh, uh, we have uh, 2,000 deaths have been recorded, including a state governor from Darfur who is part of the fatalities in Sudan. And then 2.2 million people have since fled from their homes. And a record 25 million people, more than half the population, are in need of aid and protection, according to the United Nations. So this is the current situation in Sudan. So yesterday, uh, 
three-day ceasefire of uh, this is a cessation of hostilities uh, began and uh, we have seen some relative come today and we've seen the silencing of guns for for so that aid can go into the the country where we are seeing the countries experiencing a humanitarian crisis where people are in dire need of food water and other basic commodities so that's a those are disturbing figures that uh, really need to be addressed and uh, uh, already there is an international donors conference which is underway in Geneva that seeks to that seeks to address the aid needs both in Sudan and in neighboring countries the UN is leading those efforts including other countries like Egypt Saudi Arabia Qatar the African Union and the European Union in convening the event. So the donors are expected to announce financial commitments to address the unfolding humanitarian crisis and reiterate the need for the parties to the conflict in Sudan to adhere to the obligations under international humanitarian law. So it is really a sad state. It's, it's really sad that uh, three months down the line we are having this discussion on Sudan still being in uh, troubled state where we are seeing these two generals Abdul Fattah al-Buran and his former deputy uh, Hamdan Dagalo uh, still disagreeing on whether they should be able to sit at the table and come up with resolutions on how they can uh, forge ahead and stop the fighting in Sudan. Okay, but Kenya has been told no thanks, we don't need your help. Uh, why would that be? We aren't we aren't we friends of Sudan? Haven't we always stood by Sudan? Uh, weren't we one of the first invitees at the uh, referendum when the country split into two countries? Um, why why would Kenya be told we don't you know no thanks? So what happened last week during an intergovernmental authority development summit? Uh, it was agreed that Kenya would chair a quartet of uh, Ethiopia, Somalia, and South Sudan of ensuring of that there is peace in Sudan. And President William Ruto, in fact, during the summit, pledged that he would see to it that the two warring generals have a face-to-face conversation. But. Uh, even even as that was being discussed then at the summit, let me take you back in May. The, our president William Ruto spoke at uh, spoke in South Africa. He addressed members of parliament in South Africa, and it was very his tone of his 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 tone of uh, his his tonation when he was speaking about the issue of Sudan seems to have ruffled the Sudan the army general in Sudan because then the president said that. Uh, the Sudan generals should stop the nonsense and see to it that there is peace in Sudan. This is what he had to, he had to say before we continue this discussion. The generals in Sudan are bombing everything. They are bombing roads, they are bombing uh, bridges, they are bombing hospitals, they are destroying airports, using military hardware bought by African money. Just imagine, we need to tell those generals to stop the nonsense. Military capacity is for fighting criminals and terrorists. It is not for fighting children and women and destroying our own infrastructure. Okay, so he's come out to say that the situation needs to stop. He seems to have pinpointed and highlighted one particular faction, one side of the conflict, right? And this is what's caused this need now for the Sudanese government to say, you're not coming to, we don't want Kenyans here to, to mediate this situation. The messaging is spot on, but it is the tone and the use of words, especially the use of the term nonsense, because a diplomat will tell you that uh, some certain words, including 
the nonsense word is not really a word you should be able to using if you if you are the person who is seeking to be a mediator in a in in, in a conversation that is that seeks to bring peace so the 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 side of uh, the army general the the military general is however reported saying that he prefers south sudan president salva Kiir to re- to replace Ruto as the head of the IGAD mediation team on the Sudanese conflict. So this was reported and our Kenyan officials came out immediately and say that they will the process will go on unhindered because uh, it is IGAD that gave President William Ruto the mandate to ensure that there is peace in Sudan. So until to date, we are not seeing a clear communication. A clear communication has not been brought forward on how the process will continue. But as it still as things stand, the IGAD peace process will be chaired in in the the IGAD peace process in Sudan will be chaired by our president William Ruto. Is expected to ensure that these two warring generals are brought to the table and the two generals come up with their different. Uh, proposals on how the cessation of hostilities can be can be can be attained shouldn't that be former president uhuru kenyatta as the special envoy to the african union isn't that some doesn't he have some position like that where he goes into conflict areas and he helps to mediate shouldn't shouldn't he be the one doing it I think from 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 the Iged point of view, it is the head of states, the sitting the sitting head of states who are mandated to ensure that the peace process in Sudan gets to gets gets to go on well. For the former president Uhuru Kenyatta, is is he has other duties to ensure his peace envoy roles duties in Africa. But for this particular one in Sudan, it is President William Ruto who has been mandated by the Iget to ensure that the process takes on uh, goes on smoothly and that the two warring generals get to sit at the table. But one thing if for sure is that uh, we they, there needs to be peace in Sudan. Uh, the generals have to agree on which forward uh, the nation needs to take. Okay. Fine. But interestingly, again, uh, last week, uh, uh, political scientist and international relations expert Dr. David Matsi Matsanga wrote a very interesting article. He said that uh, the Sudan war is a proxy between America and Russia. All right. Fine. Food Fair enough. Thought. Um, but we, that has been trending quite a bit recently. Uh, that one side is obviously, you know, pro-American. The other side is pro-Russian, and both are being funded. And you know, the international uh, certain areas of international press have said that this this war is a war between the two countries. It's got nothing to do with Sudan at all. But there is gold in Sudan, and there is the Wagner Group in Sudan, which is a Putin-backed mercenaries. Uh, and Russia is looking for an inroad into Africa, which we're going to get to shortly. Uh, but before we get to that, which is our last topic, uh, let's get into the Shakahola version. Or, and I'm sorry, I'm not making light of this. The Tanzanian version of the Shakahola um, uh, situation. Uh, is Before you start telling us this story, are we likely to see more and more of these cropping up over uh, across the region than across the continent? I think some of these things are happening. It's just that the differences they haven't been brought to light because even here in Kenya, it took us a while for this story to be to be brought to light. So, for the Tanzanian people, last week the authorities there arrested two church leaders for allegedly detaining dozens of sick people while promising to heal them through prayer and traditional hubs. So clearly this mirrors the Shakahola incident which is happening in Malindi and it's a sad story indeed because to date in Shakahola we are seeing the total number of fatalities has risen to 336 95 survivors have been rescued and a staggering 613 people are still missing 
Even as the detectives continue to comb the vast forest, the Shakahola forest, in search of more bodies and survivors. So in Tanzania, the more than 100 people were being kept in mud-walled huts with brick beds built around the church in a, in a place called Nyahiminza village, Miswingwi district, in the, in the northwestern region of Mwanza, with no medical treatment or food being provided. Some had been there for up to a month, and they were required to find food for themselves until they fully recovered. So really the difference between the Tanzania case and Kenyan case is the reaction of the authorities in Tanzania because it was a tipple from members of the public that prompted the Than- the Tanzanian authorities authorities to act immediately. But here in Kenya, it took us months, sadly, for the authorities to be to be to act on the Shakahola story. So that is the two distinguishing difference between the Tanzanian incident and what is happening in Kenya and Shakahola. If you look at the dailies today, we're going to go back to Tanzania, but they actually, there was an article, one of the headlines, one of the front pages of the dailies said that the authorities knew of some of the deaths long before this incident came to light. And even issued a certificate for burial permit. So, and, But raised no red flags. This in itself, in itself should tell you that there was certain government officials who failed Kenyans in ensuring that the Pastor Paul McKenzie, who is the prime suspect in this cult, uh, doomsday cult, uh, was allowed to prosper with his activities. So by the fact that there are reports that Kenyan authorities issued permits for burial of some of the victims in Shakahola, this is a big issue which really needs to be dealt with. But sadly to date, our very own President William Bruto is not really vocal about the Shakahola issue. We're only seeing our interior cabinet secretary, Professor Kithure Kindiki, who is speaking about it. And yesterday over the weekend, he said that uh, the government will not backtrack on its intention to regulate churches here in Kenya. But sadly, we're also seeing churches oppose the move. They don't. The churches here in Kenya don't want to be regulated, which is really a discussion that uh, has twists twist and twists. But uh, the president needs to be very determined and intentional in ensuring that we uh, will not be seeing more shakahola stories in the coming future. Now let's go back to Tanzania, where this uh, in Misingui, whatever it's called, sorry. I, I don't know much about the story. I just saw uh, a bit of it uh, as we were talking about what we're going to talk about. Um, my 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 concern, well, not a, it's not a concern. Our neighbors know what happened here, clearly. This is, glo- this is a global story, shakahola. Would that have been raised if Shakahola hadn't happened as quickly as it was raised do you think people are obviously looking for things that mirror what happened in Kenya so True. now you're seeing these mud huts with no windows and brick beds and built around a church you would start to ask questions I think the antennas of people across the world not even Tanzania people are a lot when it comes to religious cultism so if it were not to be for the Shaka Hola story here in Kenya. I highly doubt if the people in Tanzania, the reaction would have been prompt the way they acted. But I think for the Shaka Hola story in Kenya, it is a big lesson for us and it is a big lesson for other people out there, especially for religious institutions. That discussion, the need for religious institutions to be monitored, to be regularized. I think it is a very important discussion that the Shaka Hola story sadly has, has, has brought that subject up. So I think going forward, or even for other nations regionally and internationally i think this is this is a discussion that will continue to be there especially on the need for religious institutions to be regularized because when you look at the difference between kenya and ask the, the tanzania issue and kenya here is that 
Tanzania has strict regulations in place that govern and monitor religious institutions, including churches. The government there has established the Religious Affairs Department under the Ministry of Home Affairs that oversees religious matters and ensures compliance with regulations. So the activities of the churches is regularly monitored and they are expected to adhere to certain guidelines regarding financial transparency and reporting. When you look at how churches here in Kenya report their financial issues it's very opaque so i think this shakahola story going forward will bring up many topics many areas of interest that need to be looked at but even as we are having this discussion it remains a puzzle why our government will go ahead and charge the survivors for attempted suicide your thoughts do well, you think it is they need to be charged? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that okay, no, I think a number of things need to happen first. Number one, we need to not we and I've said this on when, we, when this first came out on this show, uh do not take the pressure off on social media. Keep pushing for answers. We don't have any answers yet. That's number one. Number two, uh is enough talk uh about uh from Kiduri Kindike regarding the plans to scrutinize churches and, and and religious structures and make sure that when i say churches i'm not just talking about christians i'm just talking about places of worship uh and religions and find out if there are any other religions or any other situations like shakahola happening across the country number 3 the president has sort of thrown this to to the side and not really wanted to talk about it my biggest concern is that a the people who you know, it's a tough one. This right, you've got you've got you know the pastor, who obviously led these people into this starvation cult uh, and to death. Um, you've got the organ harvesting situation, and then you've got suicide uh, of individuals as well, because technically they were killing themselves uh, on on his command. Should they really be charged? For no, it? I don't think they should be charged with suicide. But having said that, the promise of you know meeting Jesus if you starve yourself to death. I mean. <laughs> you've got to be pretty desperate to believe that. Um, you know, and obviously you're preying on the weak, and I'm not just talking about the weak-minded, the weak economically, the weak-spirited, the weak, you know, the, so the, he preyed on, on weak people that were given a promise. But also, come on, really, like, you know, you, you I mean, I'm going to probably be slaughtered for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. How can you believe such garbage? How can you believe such nonsense, really? But that's, you know, a different conversation uh, I altogether. think religion is one of those issues that makes people, many people tend to be gullible when it comes to issues that uh, deal with religion because at the end of the day we are responsible, we are answerable to our maker and depending from which side of religion you sit from, you know your maker, who your maker is. So I think because even when you look at the survivors and those the people who died, we're not only seeing the people who are economically disadvantaged, we had people who their social standing was very high and they were empowered financially. And sadly, Pastor Paul Mackenzie managed to hoodwink them. I mean, hoodwink them that <laughs> yeah. uh, if they fast, they will be able to meet Jesus. So I think this is a conversation that the government needs to take seriously. And uh, many people are concerned why the president is really not so vocal about this issue. The last time he spoke about it, he said when the investigations are conclusive, it is when he'll be able to visit it's not good the enough. expansive Shakaola forest, it's, but it's, it's not, not good, good enough. enough still. It's not good enough. All right, we take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we will obviously discuss uh, Sir, S- South Africa's Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, who led an African team on a peace mission to Russia and Ukraine. But it wasn't without its comedy. 
Drama. And drama. All that coming up right after this. All right, getting right back into our discussion. We are rapidly running out of time here, and you've got news at 7.30, so let us get straight into it. This is an interesting one, and one that I've been doing quite a bit of... uh, of uh, background research on South Africa's Cyril Ramaphosa led an African team on a peace mission to Russia and Ukraine. Um, many people would say that it wasn't uh, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Uh, and in fact, if you look at some articles online, they're saying it was merely a photo op uh, for the African delegation. But um, and and the the reason there was basically the, the 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 conversation was the war needs to stop. That's the message they sent to Vladimir Zelensky. That's the message they sent to Vladimir Putin. But there was drama and there was comedy. The security team of Cyril Ramaphosa decided to cart in 10 container loads of weapons, which is their, I guess, their normal catchment of weapons they travel with. But this happened in Warsaw and Poland. And nor the weapons nor the security team were cleared to enter the country. Um, surely this is paperwork you would have to get done prior to landing in a country. You know, a Kenyan will tell you, like how we 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 say it in Kenya, it was nikaman drama, nikaman video. That is what really happened. Uh, that 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 uh, pre, that uh, that uh, was witnessed in this vi- delegation's visit to Ukraine and Russia. So the delegation of President Cyril Ramaphosa was detained, like you've rightly put it, at Poland, and uh, this delegation that was that was. Uh, Putin was in the plane and not, was not allowed to disembark, uh, con, uh, was comprised of journalists and uh, uh, officers attached to the president. So the Poland officials say that they were never given information about some of the details, some of the weapons that were on board and some of the clearance issues that pertain some individuals. But the South African officials say they had done due diligence and provided everything. And uh, that was the other bit of the drama. And then the other drama was when President Ramaphosa was meeting uh, the Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky, Russian president fired missiles in Kiev. So really, it was a dramatic, it was it was a dramatic, it was a dramatic journey for this delegation because uh, the, th- the two things happening concurrently was, was really something that uh, was of interest. But uh, more importantly, like uh, for me, I tend to disagree. It was not a photo op for these African leaders because as a continent, we are affected by this war that started on uh, February 24th last year because close to 1.3 billion people in Africa are feeling the effects of war. And this is primarily because of the grain and fertilizer issue. Is that the reason, the only reason that this diplomatic mission uh, to... Poland, Eastern Europe, what happened? Uh, or is there a genuine, you know, uh, ap- uh, um, empathy to have this conflict resolved so that Ukraine can go back to normal or whatever, they, the closest they can get to normalcy? Uh, totally, now? totally. Or is it just about grain and the fact that we're struggling and the fact that inflation has gone through the roof and the economy's hit because we don't get this grain? Of course, there is the issue, the whole issue about peace, and then there is the whole issue about us, respective African con- African countries, being directly affected by this war. Because 
the war has led to a shortage of grain and fertilizer in many African countries which import the commodities from Ukraine and Russia respectively. So this has led to a spike in food prices around the world, especially in Africa, because even us as a nation in Kenya, we're having this conversation of the high cost of living, basic commodities, uh, the prices of basic commodities skyrocketing, the prices of maize flour and now retailing at 200 shillings the last time I checked. So for Ramaphosa to lead that delegation, I think it was a bold move. And even him today, he lauded the delegation, saying that uh, there was positive reception from the part of Zelensky and from the part of Putin. So during their meeting there, they they issued a 10 principles or rather 10 demands that they want the two leaders to agree to key among them the de-escalation and the recognition of countries' sovereignty, security guarantees for all the countries, and impeded grain exports through the Black Sea and sending prisoners of war and children back to their countries of origin. So even as the two leaders of Ukraine and Russia still are very non-committal on sitting at the table, uh, the, the the African continent led by the South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, we are very hopeful that this fighting in U- the, the, the Russia-Ukraine fighting will come to an end because it's ending will be very key to us it means the high cost of living in kenya will come down but having said that does there look like i mean did 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 they make any headway with this diplomatic mission to uh poland did they did the african contingent make any headway Besides the positive reception, there hasn't been much because the 10 proposals which they issued have not been met to date. So Ramaphosa, when he spoke today, he said he's only hopeful that the two leaders would agree to some of the demands that they issued. And uh, we saw it was very strange because for the very for, for, for a very first time in a very long time, we saw the, uh, the Russian president, Putin, having a very close a very close interaction with the African leaders, which we haven't seen in a very long time when when he meets other other leaders. And the delegation's visit to Ukraine and Russia comes at a time when the International Criminal Court has issued arrest warrants against Putin. So it will be very interesting to see what actions the South African officials will be taking when Putin will be attending, if at all he will be attending, a BRICS summit which is slated for August. But uh, the South African officials have been very clear that uh, they will not be, they haven't been very clear on what actions they will be taking once the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, visits South Africa. Is that happening? That was going to be my last question. You've got 30 seconds. Is the BRICS summit, is Putin's visit to South Africa for the BRICS summit happening? The Russian officials haven't confirmed, but uh, South African officials, they have been very cagey on what actions they will be taking once Putin arrives in the country. But what is for sure is that the South African officials, the South African administration has been accused of being sympathetic to Russia. And up to date, they haven't been very, uh, they haven't haven't sent out a strong message condemning the war in uh, Ukraine. All right. Thanks very much. That's going to wrap it up for us here on Global Digest. Uh, A great conversation once again. Davis, thanks so much for your uh, input as always. See you back here next Monday. Up next, we've got Charles on the hype. uh, And we will see you back here. I will see you back here anyway tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. The time now is 7.30. The best mix of music, capital FM.